2016. I like that one. Anybody else? Because I'm not going to say 2020. This 2019 was last year. Mine was to suck dick, but according to this set, it was to suck titties. You guys have a great night. Thank you. Derek the Destroyer. Taking the bullet. He hates soup. We know it. It's true. Um, so, hey, when you guys are inside, everybody, you know, take your own safety precautions. There's, um, on, this, on the stage, there are gloves, and there's also some hand sanitizer, and it's noon, everybody. Hi. Uh, welcome to CPCL. Choose poetry, choose life. We're going to get that Zoom started in a second with Glasgow, Scotland. Oh, yeah. Glasgow, Scotland is a place where... Uh, we're going to do poetry. We've got also zooming in from Edinburgh, Andy Talbot, other host, Aaron Gannon. I'm going to be here. I'm going to put in some music. I am woefully unprepared today because Hates Debates was really fun last night. Go check out that show every Tuesday at Milk Bar. And uh, I lost. I've never won. It's okay. It's not about winning. It's about, well, it's about winning. Okay. Can't we can't win them all? I can't. I could try. It's about winning. Uh, and we all win because it's poetry time. Oh my god, you're in a restaurant. Hi, you're in a restaurant. Aaron Gannon is zooming in. It's all good. I'm all right. Like me last night. Zoom, zoom, zoom. There we go. If nobody shows up, like, I mean, uh, this is this is great. I I get to I get to talk on air with Erin. She's wasted. That was like me I'm last night. Drinking. Oh yes, you are. I'm literally drinking seltzer water. Oh, okay, I thought that that was a huge bottle of vodka. <laughs> no, no, no. no, 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 no. Drinking no. seltzer water. Okay, good. Yeah, last night I was drinking whiskey after dark. Bad oh, really? news, bad news for Benjamin. So, do we have people uh, ready to ready to read, ready to get it going? Well, there were AJ and John were in the waiting room, but they're gone now. So I don't know what I don't know what to do. I made you the host. Oh, so. fantastic! So I'll just let in the I'm throngs gonna... of people when they arrive <laughs> to CPCL. So how was your reading? How was your reading? Tell us about your how was your reading? Tell us about your reading. 
Okay, so the reading was at this, I've been going to this workshop for this um, group here called Survivor Arts Center. It's for um, like survivors of domestic and violent abuse and sexual violence. Whoa. So, and it's hosted by this chick uh, called, her name is Imogen Sterling and she's like, she's a spoken word, like kind of slammy poet, but she's like a really good performer. So she was the host and a couple of the poems made me cry. Wow. Uh, yeah, like it was pretty intense. And then I think that there is, I think that we've had this woman at a CPCL before. Oh my God. It's in the, the stage room is in the other room. Um, so like, um, her name is Fanola Scott and she was really funny. But some, but mostly the kids from my class, like the girls that I was in, that were in workshop with. So I read the strangulation sonnets. Oh. I was like, we're jumping right in. We're gonna gonna go straight for the meat. And um, they seemed to go over well, so that was cool. That was the first time I performed live though. Wow. Since That's amazing. Since uh, since Cougar. Yeah. And George is here, but he wasn't allowed to go in to see me because he's non-binary. Because he's not non-binary or a woman. Yeah, but he's a magician. Which I forgot. He's a, he's a magician. That 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 <laughs> counters all. <laughs> it's, it it supersedes gender. <laughs> it's so bad. Like this would have been the first time you'd ever seen me perform. So that was weird. Well, anyway. because they were making it a safe space. Uh, do, now. What do you think about, you have your strangulation poems, what do you think about like the, when people fetishize like all the choking and stuff sexually? How does that, does that, does that trigger you? Oh my God, I, you know what, I don't. The fetishization of. I can kind of see, I can, well, okay, here's what I think. And this is just me. I can kind of see where during a blowjob, a choking sort of a slight neck action might be sexy but during the actual act of fucking i think i don't think i would be turned on by that i feel like i mean bdsm is bdsm so like but see the bdsm community is so much more self-aware and so much more self-conscious like not self-conscious that's the wrong word no, but with like, boundaries, they're, they're hyper aware of boundaries yeah exactly yeah. like that's why you have safe words like etc cetera, etc cetera. But yeah, like, I don't, I mean, if somebody, it's like legit, if somebody just, like, if I were having a one night stand and a dude just started choking me, I would pretty much like try to, I'd probably decide to give him a blowjob and bite his dick. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I would not be cool with that. Cause you're, you, or like, you know what it reminds me of? I don't know if this happens anymore because remember when we were growing up, like, anal sex was totally like boys boys even thought anal sex was gross right 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 like remember yeah yeah right like but now like nobody seems to now it's all the rage like whatever but like and that's fine i whatever like it's and actually it's, it's you know done right it feels fucking awesome but like if somebody just goes remember that whole thing where this would happen not so often but it would happen enough Remember when a dude would try to stick his dick in your in your ass and go whoops wrong hole? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh my god, so fucktarded. It's like a it's like a backward backward power move. 
I remember, yeah, I remember dating this one guy. His name was Les Leslie. I hope he's listening. He's from Chicago and he was getting a master's degree or I think he was getting a PhD in English from the University of Chicago. And he was a high school teacher. So probably shouldn't have been around the young girls. But anyways, he kept trying to do that. And he told me, and first of all, I mean, you and me both know, it does like, you know, you gotta have lube. Right. Like, I don't know who these girls are that are doing it without lube, but we need to go kick their asses because they're making it, they're literally causing me pains in the ass. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, fucking get the lube out, dumb fuck. But anyways, okay, so, he would kept he kept trying to stick his dick in my ass without lubing it up, without doing any kind of like preparation, loosening of the ass, like none of that. No, like, and like it would and like, and then I told him to. I'm like, you know what the like when, it, I, anyways, whatever. I can't remember. I broke up with him somehow, and I walked out of his house, and he insisted on driving me home, and I was like, and I was like, I don't know even what you want from me. Like you're so weird. We'd only been dating like two weeks, and he was like. Uh, I just want somebody to like be able to go to like to be able to go to like art exhibits with and stuff and company. And I was like, and I was like, okay, he, and I was like 23 and he was like 28, which seemed like a big age gap at the time, but it's really not that big of an age gap. Right, it's not that but like he was like, I'm like, yeah, well, I, you know what I want? I want somebody who, when I tell him I don't want to stick his I, stick his dick in my fucking ass, like actually and doesn't right. stick, listens like, to me doesn't keep trying to stick a stick in my ass that would be like if you told somebody you didn't like chicken curry and they tied you up and made you eat chicken curry like what how does that work like why would you continue to do that <laughs> seriously communication like, skills so annoying. lacking in the 90s Anyways. And quite frankly, a lot of guys don't know how to deal with the whole area anyways. I mean, true, I think that's still true. True, true, true. Yes. Like, young okay, guys, so too. God, guys in their 30s are lost. Ooh, two people are in the waiting room. Let's let them in. Let's let them in. <laughs> All right. I'm going to take off. I'm going to go home and watch movies and lay on George and have a headache and take a Xanax. Heck yeah. Let's see if I can get back to the screen. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be able to tell the concussion story tonight. I have too much of a headache, but it is epic and I will tell it next time. Uh, well, we have... Hello. We have AJ and we have John and we just lost, lost Aaron. Aaron. We lost Aaron. Uh, she just read the strangulation poems at um, a... a a reading there doing she was excited that she got to perform live so Woo. Uh, but she's like i have to go home okay yeah cool but so it's just the three of us but we're live on air at radio so people are listening oh. all over the world Gosh. um aj you're muted you're muted unmute yourself we can all be unmuted today because it's just the three of us thus far Yay. okay <laughs> You can read anything you want. We have all the time in the world. Are there any long yeah, projects you've worked uh, on? Or um... Sure. I can read for sure as long as you want. Great. What What's the animal behind you? A hippo? It's a wombat. It's a wombat. It's a wombat, yeah. All right. Oh, look at that cute little friend. All right. Yeah, I think they're cute. Sweet. 
Uh, I don't think I've ever actually seen it. Do you have a longer. joke for us, Pam? Do I have it? Do I always have a joke? Why can't Californians have guns? Because they're oh, always you know, triggered. I'm excited. Uh, I have another one, but it, it's more of a visual one. It's uh, I'm I'm so white I can't even make my ass golf clap. That's a, that's a twerking joke. Twerking joke. There, I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, uh, hey, uh, what do you guys want to read today? What do you want to What do you want to bring to the to the to the out to the chaos, the fray? Um. I mean, I have I have the poem I wrote last um, last week uh, that um, that I've been adding to because it's like I so I, I wrote this poem taking the piss out of people who claim that they've been cancelled, uh-huh. um, and I sometime last week I said that I was going to add new verses to it whenever some. You know, whenever a new person came along and claimed to have been cancelled for any reason, so this it, it is actually longer than it was last fortnight now, um, because I've had to add new verses to it for uh, Alison Bailey, who's a weird UK bigot, uh, John Cleese, uh, John Cleese, and, uh, yeah, yeah, John John Cleese is obsessed with cancel culture at the minute. He's doing a a show about it on uh, channel four because basically um you, you know well everyone who does the whole cancel culture thing essentially it's just a massive grift you know it's like you just say you know if, if you say you've been cancelled like you know you, you get to say you've been cancelled again and again and again in the new york times on you know, television, on the radio, um, all over the internet, uh, you get to do, um, did you see the stuff about the University of Austin that no. came out last week? Okay, so. Wait, wait, uh, back, back to cancel Barry, culture, though. What? Wait, wait, back to the cancel thing, though. It's it's that we're lauding the behavior. We're saying, hey, you did this behavior to get canceled. And then once you get to say you're canceled, then you get all the press, which is supporting yeah. your I mean poor behavior. Yeah. I mean Dave Dave Chappelle obviously <laughs> um actually came out and said that about that special he did recently that like you know he's getting loads more attention from it because of having claimed to have been cancelled by people. And that's basically how it works. You know, you you say, you know, oh it's it's terrible these people are silencing me and it's impossible to ignore these people who claim they've been silenced. You know, it's, it's, yeah. Um, so I have, I have, I have a poem that I did about that, um, which, which I could do, I guess. Mm, um, fantastic. Well, what, what were that's you... only going to take about two or three minutes. Well, uh, well, let's, let's, let's roll right in. Uh, just to let the listening audience know it's choose poetry, oh. choose life. And, uh, we're gonna start okay, right well, now. About cancel okay, culture. Well, uh, I'm just okay. So this the poem is oh fuck what is that? Oh god, no. 
sorry, that uh, was something on my phone going off. Okay, so this is called Cancellation Baby. Um, and it goes like this. I want to be famous and considered blameless. I want my mates promoted and my critics rendered nameless. I want to be rewarded for acts most consider shameless. That's right. I want to be cancelled. Cancellation's where it's at, pals. Cancellation's king. If you claim you're being cancelled, you can say most anything. You can claim to be a pugilist while running from the ring. All you have to say is, I've been cancelled. Cancellation's what you need, not dedication, Roy. Cancellation will take you from strength to strength through joy. You can write a book about how you like perving on underage boys and never have to fear, Ms. Greer. Just be clear that you've been cancelled. And this is where one of the new verses come in. Oh yeah, or perhaps you want to talk about the breasts of teenage girls and folks are pointing out this makes you sound like a perv. Just frame your chat in terms appealing to your fellow turves and carry on my wayward Allison by saying you were cancelled. Cancellation is the royal road to superpower. You can quit your job and get a softball spot on woman's hour. You can claim to love free speech and threaten critics with your lawyer. Your stock can never drop when you've been cancelled. Cancellation isn't quite the same as saying leave. True patriots know English words mean more than what they mean. So if you lose a cushy speaking fee, you still can act aggrieved. If you ever need to change your plans, Nige, say it's you that's being cancelled. Is your sense of comic timing deader than a parrot? Are the people who once laughed with you just looking on embarrassed? Do people speak more often of the women that you harassed than your one-note comedies, John Cleese, at ease? Claim you've been cancelled. Cancellations barely come in even single spies. Well, you have big battalions to amplify your lies, but so what? Claim you're being targeted by Shinigami eyes. You can babyface yourself by wailing cancelled. But just remember, cancellation's not for everyone. You're only cancelled if you say things they agree with in the sun, not things like the BBC platformed a turf who's rapist scum and they were warned she was a rapist, but they let the story run. Do you think we care about the truth? We're journalists, hun. And if you point out otherwise, at best you'll be ignored. At worst, we'll slag you off in print or drag you through the courts. We'll steal your private photos and we'll twist your social words. We'll convince the general public that you're all a bunch of pervs when all you want to do is live your life and not be hassled. We'll make that life a living hell. But we won't call you Hansel. And... Yeah, that's uh, that's that one. I love that dead <sighs> parrot line. Mm -hmm. That's awesome because I I love Monty Python and and the the dead parrot. I always remember that. So tell me more about John Cleese. That was a that was an awesome poem, and I love all of the the topical bits and pieces that you put in. I just I'm just not familiar with all of them because we don't we we don't follow news at all in the United States. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I guess, I mean, the thing is, obviously, I am entirely too online. So, um, you know, I spend way too much time on Twitter, but basically, uh, basically, so does John Cleese. And um, one of the things that he's taken to doing is he, um, he sort of constantly, he, he kind of like pushes at the edge, well, he, he, he was pushing at the edges of things and, you know, doing the whole just asking questions thing that people do. Um, and then he um, recently, he's just came out with saying like loads of uh, transphobic stuff and various other kinds of, you know, bigoted stuff. And um, what he, and the, th the thing about Twitter, right, is that it has this really weird effect on celebrities of like a certain age, which is like, suddenly people can respond to them and they don't deal well with that. And basically that's what happened to John Cleese. Like, um, you know, he started putting his opinions about trans people and stuff and, um, and, and things out there. And people started disagreeing with him. And he decided that he didn't like this um, because obviously, you know, John Cleese is someone who's been able to spend most of his life in a situation where he's insulated from all that. I mean, you know, he's, he was, he's like a, an ex-Cambridge Footlights guy, so it's not like he's... Um, it's not like he's ever really had to struggle, mm. you know? And he... He's always been insulated by fame. And... So... He didn't deal very well with this, and... What he's managed to do is he's he's managed to parlay all this into getting Channel 4, which is um, a, a television channel in the UK, um, to give him a program in which he goes around interviewing other people who have been cancelled, uh -huh. in his words. So, um, you know, it's ba basically, you know, like... A lot of people are just treating it as like you know. I mean, it is it is it is a massive joke to be honest, because it is like, um, you know, you can you can almost predict what the you can always predict what the program is going to be like without actually having seen it. You know, you can just you can just um, I can guarantee they're probably going to interview Jordan Peterson. They're probably going to interview Kathleen Stock, who's a UK uh, university lecturer who actually wound up cancelling herself because she spent ages trying to get her own university to fire her, and her university basically refused to fire her. Um, so she resigned. Um, and, you know, it, it, it'll, it'll basically be a usual suspects documentary with everyone who says they've been silenced by the woke mob. Um, it just seems silly to me yeah, that John, so that's, uh, John Cleese would have thoughts and opinions on trans people. He, he doesn't well, really have a dog in the fight, except that his his comedy in the seventies and all that there were they they had tons oh, of yeah. cross dressing. Like that's oh, the yeah. only dog he has in the fight is that he's acted with you know this sort of like campy. Uh, 
cross-dressing from his from from all well, there, there, yeah. was a, there was a big backlash against the uh life of brian from the evangelicals i remember that uh... there was yes that 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 was a situation you know in which you know the the, the pythons were actually facing um I've, I've just put a, a link to a, a video I did with that poem in and further explanation of various other references in it in the chat, by the way. But um, the Life of Brian thing was an interesting situation because, you know, that was that was Cleese and the rest of the Pythons going up against people who actually had power. Like, you know, um, the church, I mean, the Church of England is part of the British state. You know, so when there's there's that program that they were on with Malcolm Muggeridge, um, and they there was a bishop of some description. In the UK, bishops get to sit in the House of Lords. They get to vote on legislation. What? Um, you know, which which means that the UK is technically a theocracy, although, you know, people people in the UK don't like to think about it that way. But it is where where a theocracy where the the Queen is the head of state and the head of the religion. You know, the queen is technically our Ayatollah. Um, is she? And, is she oh, still yeah. alive, or is she in it? She's a she's a bot, right? <laughs> yeah, so she's, a, just, she's an I was AI. Just about to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, an Ayatollah with better shoes, I think. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. We we you know, we we don't know what the footwear choices of the Ayatollahs are. Maybe some of them like you know, hitting heels, um, but. Uh, yeah, the queen is possibly dead. We don't know. Um, there is there is all this stuff. Like, she's not officially dead. They've not announced it. And there is, like, a whole official protocol that the media in the UK has to go through when the queen dies to announce her death. Like, um, there's... And I swear I'm not making any of this up. Um, there is a light in every studio at the BBC and most of the other major broadcasting uh companies including like local radio and when a member of the and when the queen dies this light comes on as like an immediate signal that the queen has that the queen's death has been announced and at that point all the stations have to switch to a pre-approved playlist so that they don't if you remember like what happened in america when like 9 11 happened and they banned like um leaving on a jet plane oh, from being oh, played on radio. Of course. <laughs> um, there is there is a protocol for this in place in the UK. And basic, there's there's been some talk about there being like social media blackouts, so no one can say anything mean about the Queen, um, which is going to be an interesting thing. But, uh, but, but yeah. what's Clive Oseman going to do? <laughs> oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> He's he, he probably go into hiding for his own good for doing like you know Clive will get cancelled genuinely if the Queen dies. No, um, but uh, the thing is, the Queen kind of got ill recently. I mean, obviously, Prince Philip died earlier in the year, yeah, and that was weird enough because we had like billboards and stuff in the streets, like all the bill like. Loads of billboards in the UK now are like they're digital, you know, like they 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 have like a screen on them, and that means they can show more than one advert and stuff like that, and they can show moving images. And within like seconds of Prince Philip's death being announced, 
all these billboards switched over to like a black background with a picture of Prince Philip and like, you know, his dates, you know, born such and such a year, died 2021, rest in peace. And like, I, a thing that I do um, when I'm on the phone with people, um, if, if, if I'm in my flat and I'm on the phone with people, so that I have something to look at, I will put videos on YouTube, which are like um, videos people have taken from the tops of buses, basically, which are, they're, they're like, um, they're what used to be called in the early days of cinema, phantom rides, which was when you would put like a camera on the front of a train. And there's, you know, now that people have like GoPros and stuff, loads of people like do this. So, so I'll just have this on in the background so that I've got something to look at while I'm speaking on the phone with someone because I have weird autistic shit about phone conversations going on, basically. Um, but after the Prince Philip death stuff, for ages, loads of these videos, it would be like watching something set in like a dystopian society because they just, you know, every time wow. they go past a billboard, it was Prince Philip, you know, Ooh. literally all of them. Oh, so we're, we're going to get more of that when the queen dies but no one knows if she's actually died yet because she was supposed to, to show up for um, Remembrance Sunday at the Cenotaph in London but then oh. they announced on the Sunday that she'd hurt her back um, oh. <laughs> so well, I, I, didn't, I didn't even, I didn't even hear, even hear these rumors so well I guess I'm just not tuned into it oh, I, well, I yeah, thought that the queen was a robot for years now Ever since, oh, yeah, ever yeah. <laughs> since they brought out all of those on Netflix, they had a, a billion things about Princess Di, the whole, the crown. Oh. And I was obsessed, obsessed with all that stuff. And I'm like, she's not alive. Come on. <laughs> well, I mean, technically, obviously, there is a sense, you know, there's, there's that, um, that idea in sort of, politics and theology that like the head of state has the the, the king has two bodies you know mm. there's like the physical body and there's like the kind of spiritual incorruptible body and like oh. you know so yeah so, so there is a sense in which the queen even when she is alive <laughs> is not alive if that makes sense yeah. You know, there's, yeah, yeah there's the symbol and the person but mm. uh, yeah, you know, you know what I read from uh, Joseph Campbell years ago is in the early days, you know, the the kings would be sacrificed after a year or something like that, and that oh yeah, find somebody a king, and then the, 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 they'd off them and select a new king. Now, I'm not suggesting this for the British <laughs> market at all, mind you, but uh, uh, in any case, it was kind of interesting. I I don't think well, that there will probably she's... be a lot of support for that if Charles, you know, when Charles takes over, well, because like no one in Britain likes <clears throat> Prince Charles. Well, and exactly, yeah, he's, pretty, is... he's, up, he's pretty old though, isn't he? I mean, the Queen will never around. let Camilla be Queen. The the, the Queen's <laughs> gonna live forever because she should she'd roll <laughs> over in her grave if Queen Camilla existed. Like every. <laughs> Like the, through the divorce and the, the and the, oh, all the scandal, and he always loved Camilla. I yeah, mean, dear it was, God. yeah, it's kind of it's great soap yeah. opera. It's really great. It's fun stuff. Scintillating. It probably happens all the time, but you just don't hear about it until you know these days recently. Yeah, I'm guessing. Well, you know, some some of the stuff. John, what do you they have used to read? To get up to. We keep we keep I have getting, a story. We keep getting stilly in and out and in and out. So I don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll read. I'll read you a story. Yeah, read How's us a story, that? John. Read us a story. 
Hold on a second here. Larry Cravat's first mistake was asking me to judge a poetry slam. <laughs> slam work contestants who can't slam teenage bravado and self-righteous rants about social injustice slam where all the poems sound the same and the guy who yells fuck loudest wins mm -hmm. i hate poetry slams they're like seeing my daughter strip naked and dragged through a sewer i despise anyone who would do that to something i love and my poems are my children i want them to live happy lives long after I'm dead and will do anything to protect them, but I needed the money. 500 bucks would go a long way toward keeping me in notebooks and whiskey. I loaded my Smith & Wesson 29 with jacketed hollow points and closed the cylinder. The air smelled of Hoppy's number nine solvent and overhead lights reflected from its blued steel barrel. Chekhov said that once you introduce a pistol, it has to go off, but fuck Chekhov. I've been carrying ever since that, I mean, elderly woman pulled a rusty jackknife at the La Jolla open mic, and I haven't shot a man yet. Hell, just one look at my 44 Magnum is enough to make a language poet bother somebody else. I holstered my revolver and covered it with a lime green Gaiabara. The yokels were already lined up for a night of tedium by the time I got to the theater. Flashing my ID got me past the doorman and inside where I joined the other judges in the front row. Cravat handed me a dry erase tablet. I used the marker to write a zero in blue to see how it looked. Cindy Lockyer was the only judge who I recognized. She taught writing at a community college. Rumor had it she could match Ikonsky drink for drink. Alcohol and bitterness had spoiled her looks. I guess hanging out with Ikonsky will do that to you. I didn't know the other judges and didn't want to. There was a woman in Birkenstocks who wore an amethyst necklace, a jock in a leather jacket, and a balding man in wire-rimmed glasses. I erased the zero I'd written. There would be plenty of chances to hand out more. Of ten total points, I give five for performance and five for content. From the looks of the contestants, I'd be handing out a lot of fours and fives. Of the twelve, I recognized only a few from local open mics. The rest must be out-of-towners or people with nothing worth sharing. The rules called for dropping judges high and low scores and averaging the rest. That means my presence here would be pointless. Aha. As the crowd entered, someone from the projection booth played a recording of traffic's low spark of high-heeled boys. I flashed back to brawless hippie girls and all the concerts of my youth. King Crimson, Santana, Starship, and Jethro Tull. My good mood lasted until the first contestant took the stage. He was an old guy with a walker who moved slower than continental drift. Real or not, his disability gained the audience's sympathy. I think that I shall never see a Zeppelin lovely as a tree. 
The crowd went wild. Judges held up 10, 10, 10. I looked at my tablet. The rules stated contestants had to present original work, but that poem was Trees by Alfred Joyce Kilmer. Unless Mr. Kim Kilmer was 130 years old, the contestant wasn't him. If I let the cheating slide, I'd shaft the contestants who followed the rules. I scribbled a zero and held up my tablet. Boo! Cindy Lockyer calibrated the plagiarism against the audience's enthusiasm and awarded an eight. Contestants followed with a parade of rookie mistakes that wouldn't survive an introductory writing class. Marcus sentiments telling instead of showing introductions longer than the poem, apologizing for the emotions expressed. Noble sentiments expressed with the skill of a surgeon with two broken wrists and my personal nemesis, the rhyming essay. I returned to my seat after a quick trip to the bathroom. Somehow I'd made it to the semifinals without eating my revolver. Now all that stood between me and $500 was three poets. Since these were finalists, should I bump my average up from a, to a six from a five? Nah. Slammers have a term for someone like me. East German judge. Even though that country hasn't existed for over 30 years, I relish the title. I picked up my tablet. I enjoyed the first finalist's rambling description of her relationship even less than when Natalie says, we need to talk. My score brought howls of rage from the crowd. Then something stunned me. A skinny guy with a ponytail recited a poem about a Frederick Remington painting. It was all there. The pounding hooves, champ of the leather saddle, smell of sweat and dust, and the horse's hooves suspended in midair, like in Edward Moybridge's photos. Ten! I shot to my feet. The theater was silent except for the rustle of candy wrappers. The judges were leaning over their tablets. Slowly they raised six, six, six. Even Cindy Lockyer gave this masterpiece only an eight, the same score she'd given the plagiarist. The final contestant had a physique like Pavarotti's if the opera singer had gone off his diet. What he lacked in craft and originality, he made up with a voice that was louder than a 747's JECF6 engine on takeoff. He mounted the stage, held the mic to his lips, and screamed, Fuck! The audience rose as one to its feet as tens dropped like Nazi paratroopers from a Yunkers Ju-53. Bottles began to fly as I held up my zero. Soon the crowd broke up chairs and rushed the front row. I didn't draw my revolver because fuck Chekhov. Besides, the back door offered me an easy escape, and this was a duty-to-retreat state. Even if attacked by some thug, a prosecutor who never faced so much as an angry word could throw you in jail for defending yourself because you didn't run away. 
I'm here for my $500. I stared at the bald spot shaped like Antarctica on top of Cravat's head. He sat at his desk in an office decorated with American flags, as if selling defective used cars to soldiers was somehow patriotic. I'm docking your pay for the riot you caused, he said. That was his second mistake. If you bring out a gun, you gotta use it. Yeah. Bring... Fuck check off. I I, which, I relish the which idea. Which slams of... is it? You get five hundred bucks for judging, cause like yeah, I don't think none of them. I don't know. I, I could I, I I could listen to a lot of bad poetry for five hundred dollars. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. you know, I've done it for free a lot. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yes. Yeah. I, th I think we probably all have, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> I do, do it for tickets, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe, that's maybe, that's yeah, the deal. That's the deal. Free tickets if I if I do the merch. Yeah. But that's H and T, and we're quality, as you know. Oh, yay for that story, John! Yay. You're welcome. You're welcome. I've got more, but maybe we should let somebody else, like Beth, read. Beth. Yay. Are you feeling better hey, this Tom. week? Last, I know the last two weeks you were not. Feeling great. I can't think. I can't think where I was. I know one of them. I will have been at Fensby because we always clash. It's just it's it's it all change at my house. So it's all going on here, and I haven't I haven't come ready to read. So just hold your fire. Is that hey silly? silly. You're reading from the book. I can. How how can are book sales? That. How are book sales? Um, slower than I'd like. I think is probably <laughs> that um, they've they've been relatively solid. I could just always use them being uh, a bit more, and it's it's. I find it difficult without just going. Oh, I don't want to buy my book. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> you know, sounding like really cheesy. Um. I always so I just made I, a sign whenever I'd go to poetry readings. I had a little sign, and I'd have my little stack of books, and I just put it on the table so it took the pressure off me. It was like, look, yeah, buy I've, my I've book. Got, I've kind of, kind of done that too. Yeah, I'm doing so. Next next Wednesday, I'm going to London. All bit well, lateral flows and uh, booster shot side effects permitting. I'm going, I'm going to London next week. For an event being organised by Laurie Eves of Dead Darlings podcast fame um, for poets who've um, had books out during the pandemic and he's organised a kind of uh, graduation for us also, a little bit of performing a bit of book sales, a bit of networking, a bit of you know seeing the faces of folk a little bit so I'm going to be doing a um, special book package for that night, a sort of graduation special. I'm just, well, providing the stuff that I've ordered comes in time, because otherwise it's going to suck. So you'll get what you normally get in the book package and then some little extra special for that for that night. 
Um, and I'm, so there's that. I'm going to do that because also I figure if I make it all up as a packaging in the envelope, that makes it easier for the, the people who are doing the merch as well. That, then, then people just can come to me to have it personalized and Don't signed. Signed. Did did any of you ever ever uh, read the National Lampoon by any chance? It was a sarcastic magazine back in the day. They they had one magazine cover. They had a had a a a picture of a dog with a pistol to its head and said, "If you don't buy this magazine, we'll shoot this dog." Oh God! (laughs) Yeah, I'm not that cruel. Yeah, I I don't think they actually shot the dog. No, I don't know. I don't know about over here. I think think possibly it's also possible that National Lampoon would have been before my time. But I'd, what like satire type? Yeah, it was, it was a spinoff yeah. of the Harvard Lampoon, and a lot of the Saturday Night Live guys, you know, like John Belushi and stuff, got their start uh, start with National Lampoon. Oh right, okay. You know, so it was sarcastic, and naturally, I, I subscribed to it, and and then I started realizing that you know I was so sarcastic that nobody liked me anymore, so I stopped huh. reading it. <laughs> well, you know that that's excellent self awareness, actually. <laughs> I don't know. I don't well, know. It, it took a few years to sink in, but eventually it did, yeah. AJ, what do we have? Oh, I suppose we have Private Eye, but that's political satire, isn't it, really? The only other thing I can think of would be Viz. But yeah. I'm not sure they well, exist anymore. I think National Lampoon is is kind of like, I mean, because Saturday Night Live is sort of political. I mean, you know. It can they, be, sometimes. Yeah. Oh, I suppose. Oh, I mean, anything like that is going to depend what's around to satirize. Yeah, you know, and they, yeah. they weren't. They weren't. They weren't all on the left either. I know. P.J. O'Rourke was one of the guys in the National Lampoon that uh, he went. He's actually a pretty conservative guy, but he, he went yeah. on to have like a career. Uh, there's a there's a documentary. I think uh, you know, like it's called something like "Fat Drunk and Nearly Dead" or something. That's all about the the National Lampoon. Mm-hmm. It's it's a pretty good documentary. Interesting enough, the guy that there was a guy that was the editor and he was like evidently a brilliant really funny guy but he, he just like went to hawaii and maybe like walked off a cliff or something great. wow okay Any, anybody got poems about suicide uh, <laughs> yeah, wait, uh there's wow actually, there's, there's a couple there's a couple yeah. comics that do suicide jokes that are not terrible like they're actually they're they're pretty good jokes but it's a hard it's a hard subject to uh to make the chuckles about. Uh, Beth, what, what you got for us today? Um, let's see what we've got. Let's, um, getting to be that misty time of the year, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's a beautiful spring day here in San Francisco. I mean, I'd take it outside to show it's you guys. Been, it's like sunny it was, and gorgeous. Do you know what? It's been a beautiful day here today. Cold, but it's been, it's been lovely. I've been, uh, when I walked out to work this morning, it was. I wanted my jacket on, and it was chilly because it's windy where I live. But um, I've been. We finally unearthed the, the, the box of curtains that we've been trying to find out in my 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 client's house and and bush them all and put them on the line so that they hang in the, the fresh air. So yeah, it's getting to be that misty time of the year when the you know the barrier between here and somewhere else is very thin. So. 
this is this is from the book and this is called Keeloch. Tell me of the thin places where the holy meets the land. The morning where the mist lays still, the darkness where resolution will rise from sleep and move. Where life whispers into the marrow of you, where reality is stretched so that it is. This is where the words come. This is where the wolves run. This is where we choose which heart to feed. Here is all we planted and here is everything that te tears down and here is where we weigh each truth. Almost gone and only spirit is. At rest it is where the seeds fall under the earth as the sweep of the deep takes us below. Things brought to the surface by the undertow. In this land is answer, in this place can all reveal. The deepest things are surfaced when we fall through the tide. Kealorch means thin place. Yay! <laughs> and it's it's the I think it's I think that's the Gaelic render. The place where the divide between the world, the physical world and the and the sacred or the spiritual world is at its finest. And if you've ever walked out on a thin morning and uh, into the mist and you looked like you could fall off into the world and not know. Um so this is, and then this is something that I wrote the other morning, actually, when I was walking to work last week in the early morning. Just when I thought I wasn't going to write any autumn poems this year. <laughs> Blinded by the slow, low light of November. Only the bird rustle and the sound of my feet, safe in boots, passing leaves on the grass. Run, dog, run. Chase autumn before it fades. Treasures under the tumbled tide of gold. Early mornings are slick with dew. The leftover flowers bent low. The ground's final reverence before submitting to the crack of winter's unrelenting glare. That dog line was hot. That was fire. <laughs> the dog that was literally That was literally me walking across. So where I live, I drop my daughter to the school bus in the morning and then on one morning a week I walk into a, a job that I start very early and I walk across the park, sort of big playing field behind a sports centre just not very far from where I live and if I'm lucky I'm the only person on the field and it's frosty and cold but it's also quite often a happy spot for um, people with their dogs out in the morning because it's there's not many. We're actually campaigning. People are campaigning to keep another park that's up to the north of me because there's not really any sort of play spaces and green spaces on this side of the this side of the town. So not really, not where you can take your kids to play and and have a kick about and stuff like that. So trying to keep some of those if we can stop them just building more houses on them. I think still he's in a revolving door tonight. Yeah, yeah and he keeps kind of like <laughs> and he's literally like going around and then disappearing again. And whenever he actually comes in, I have no idea how to do the screen sharing co-hosting. I'm completely bereft of oh, knowledge well, you, you, on all of that. I can help you with that. No, no, Tom, I, I can I, help you with that. I can tell you how to do that. Except so, it's yeah, on my I'm phone. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm on a phone, not a computer, so I don't know if it makes a difference. Oh well that's maybe harder then, yeah, yeah who knows. Yeah. 
So are you, you UK peeps as fun as I am with Phil the Malamute? Who? What? You guys know Phil the, Phil the Malamute? There's a YouTube channel, Life with Malamutes, and Phil is like the best dog in the world. I'm Googling right, right now. Phil the Malamute. I was... <laughs> Wait. It's a big fluffy dog. Hello, yes. fluffy dogs. Yes. Hello. They're so fluffy. So much fluffiness. I want a tiny yeah, Pomeranian. So... I want a tiny fluffy Pomeranian and I can paint its little toenails colors oh, and right. I can make it wear a little well, crown. I have a friend with a Pomeranian named Niles. Oh, that's dog. very cute. Oh, Niles. I'd like to put Niles in a little tiny bit. Tiny child, giant dog. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Beth, do you have more to read or are those your two pieces? We have so much um, time today. I, I, I've got, well, I mean, in some times there's always more, but that's the two that I had. Did, did Stilly up. come back in or is he, he's out again? Not uh, yet, no. No, Stilly's not in here, no. Gotcha. I have some more to read, but maybe we should go around again. And we haven't heard from you yet, Pam. <gasps> Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I have a okay. I have a short story, but it's about suicide. Trigger warning. Um, and it's it's really long, so I won't be able to read the whole thing. But I can read parts of it, if you want. Uh, it is called uh, "To Whom It May Concern." To whom it may concern, I just didn't want to go into work today. Me. The scribbled note lay haphazardly on the freshly made pottery barn ensemble. Her body sprawled unnaturally at the foot of the bed with scattered yellow and pink and white pills littering the raw linen coverlet. The multitudinous silk throw pillows sat untouched and nicely fluffed at the top. She was very dead. Snapdragons were her favorite flower and a freshly arranged pot of them in yellow and pink and white tones cried in the corner. She was such a happy girl. We never knew. She never said anything. She arranged us with such precision, such care. I need more water. The silent room waited for decomposition. Her body unfortunately emptied itself and slowly seeped, embedding her urine in the mattress. The bed didn't mind, per se. It knew her. Yet the lonely pillo pillows only knew her smell and longed for other heads and bodies to wrap themselves around their downy fillings. Megan had longed for the same. She often complained to the listening air about her lonely vagina and listed her wants in a mate. More than sex, she desperately wanted someone to hold through the night. She wanted to nuzzle her nose in his neck and enwrap him in her arms. She wanted to laugh out loud. He has to be funny. He has to get my brand of humor. He has to like bacon. Her list was short. She didn't demand much, but they never fulfilled. She knew she could have sex with most men, but craved respect. She never brought them back to her pristine haven if she questioned their accountability. She didn't like washing her 400 thread count sheeps more than once a week. She worried about breaking down the fibers, and it's practically impossible to get semen out of silk. The pillows thankfully agreed. Sunlight poured through the puffy window swag and bathed her dead body in striated magical light. She almost looked alive. She would not be discovered for three days. Three days later, thoughts burbled up from the cubicle walls of her co-workers as her co-workers gossiped about the event that would be forgotten in less than a month. No one cried at the office. She was such a happy girl. We never knew. She never said anything. She worked with such precision, such care. I need more water. 
Gopher heads popped above their shortened walls among the buzzing computers and plastic flowers. Did she say anything Friday? Did she eat lunch alone? Someone must know something. Oh, she liked Pottery Barn catalogs and read them in the break room over lunch. Alone? She was always alone by choice. She never went out to happy hour. Weird. Did anyone see the signs? Megan left no signs. She worked diligently and refused to call attention to herself at the office. Work was work. Money was for money. She derived no joy from numbers and phone calls and angry cat ladies yelling about full coverage. Megan's real life was secret, and she needed grand separation between work and play. She purposely made sure no one knew and silent, flew silently under the radar. Megan liked drugs. Danny Trabajo a key? She ran from shop to shop in Mexico looking for the infamous Danny. She heard from a guy at the taco shop that he was willing to sell oxys and flexorol and Ritalin and Adderall and maybe a spot of Coke and Valium for a buck a pill. Oxys were significantly more expensive, but worth the drive across the border. Megan was a mule. Taking orders for all, she ran down to TJ once a month in pants without pockets, two pairs of underwear, and a clean American smile. The border guard never suspected the bouncy little redhead held hundreds of little yellow and pink and white pills rolled in plastic baggies discreetly tucked between her undies. They were never looking for her. The guards had their eyes on shifty men with baggy pants or fakely pregnant women hiding kilos of coke under flowered moo-moos. Cute 30-something obvious Americans weren't on the manifest. She slid through unscathed every time. Roaming in and out of sterile mirrored pharmacies desperately seeking Danny, Megan played her part. She was a darling, white-toothed American girl looking for a few recreational drugs. Her favorite former pharmacist disappointed the last three trips. She crossed the border with a belly full of churros and no pills. Customers, disappointedly, were looking elsewhere, and Meg didn't get to drink whiskey at her favorite bar that week. This monetary side project was necessary to support her secret rock and roll lifestyle. Project management just didn't pay, and the commission checks were light this quarter. She was looking for a new pharmaceutical safe zone, and the bald, heavily tattooed Mexican with 42 emblazoned on his lower lip seemed trustworthy. She liked the number 42 and trusted the Virgin Mary colorfully marking the side of his head. He would know where to get drugs. She flitted up with her hands clasped behind her back, batting lashes coquettishly. Hey, do you know a pharmacy which will sell me some Ritalin without a prescription? Kay, I'm looking for drugs. Her eyes gleamed and cheeks crunched with genuine smile. A dangerous grin split his face as he flipped open a cell phone and made a call. Megan knew no Spanish, but intently attempted to decipher. She heard Bonita and Loco and Puta. Pretty crazy whore. Megan was not offended. He was finding her drugs. You're looking for Danny. Go to Revolucion right side. About three blocks in. Ask for Danny. Danny Trabajo aquí. Can you remember? Please repeat. Danny Trabajo aquí. Bueno. Gracias, señor. He turned back to his tattooed brethren in baggy pants. Finding things was easy for Megan. No one expects a tiny redhead to be involved in the underhanded dealings. No one ex suspects the smiling little sweetheart. Uh, I don't, I mean, I don't want it's it's super long. But anyways, she gets drugs and then she has a gambling addiction and then she kills herself. <laughs> but it's, it's a really long story. But that's just, a, just a taste. I, I'm, uh, but so there you go. Yay. So it was kind of cool the way that all the, you know, furniture and stuff yeah, really... was uh, reacting to her in the beginning. Thanks. Magical realism. Uh, yeah. Yeah, cool. Is Stilly back? No. Okay. No Stilly. Let's, let's go back around then. It's uh, uh, AJ, you got stuff? 
Okay, yeah. Um, so I was thinking, you know, since since we've got a slightly looser format, I might try something um, something different. So these are two two sections from a a novella that I wrote back in 2016 um, and kind of unpublished after a while. I, I have this habit of doing this with things. At least this actually got as far as being published afterwards. But, um, but I then kind of withdrew it uh, from Amazon because I, well, initially because I was kind of annoyed with the way Amazon treat some of their workers. And then afterwards it just kind of became because there were things in it I wasn't sure about. Um, you know, just, I mean, tiny plot related things basically that, 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 that I thought, you know, and I'd, I'd rewrite that. Um, but these are, these are the two prologues to it. Um, the first one is called Honeymoon. He hates the screen on the back of the camera, the new one they bought for this holiday, this honeymoon. He stands by a lighthouse under a grey Pacific sky and tries to smile. She shows him the screen. He looks too much of a schlub in this hoodie, these baggy combats. He looks like the light hurts his eyes in every picture. He can't even defer his disappointment till the photos are developed. He used to travel alone, went to Paris on his own like the girl in that Tori Amos B-side, Bachelorette. And the first time he went to New York, he was alone. He never photographed himself, just Wilde's grave, Isadora Duncan's plaque, Ground Zero, he remembers walking down a street in Paris, looking at a poster for some porno comics exhibition stuck in a shop window, a woman with long nails standing in a wrestler's crouch and catching sight of his own reflection behind it. Stubble, almost beard. He looked like a tramp, tried to step aside, get out of his own way. In the wedding photos, cutting the cake, they both look amazing. She does, of course, with her white dress and her hair up, smiling with all of her face. And him with the long hair and suit that makes him look like a lesbian, like this is some kind of butch femme deal. And maybe convention dictates that they should both be in suits for a lesbian wedding. But screw that. Life is too short for femphobia. And who says Dykes can't get married in dresses, huh? He loves looking at that photo. On their first night in New York, he watches a cartoon on the hotel room TV while she showers. Lying on the impossibly huge American bed, he watches a child molester in a dress sing a parody of a song from Little Shop of Horrors. He doesn't know why exactly, but this cartoon makes him feel unbearably sad. He just seems so lonely, the man singing on the TV. Even the audience are meant to see him as a joke, a sick joke. Are you all right? She asks him, toweling her hair. I'm fine, he answers, just tired. And as I say, there are two prologues 
because I couldn't decide which one I wanted to use. This is the second prologue, which is called Grief. I want you all to fuck me. I want you to fuck me, and 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 you get the idea. I want you all to fuck me. I want you all to chain me up against a wall and use me. Do me. Do me until there is nothing left of me to do. Do me until there isn't anyone to do it to. Is that something you can do? I want that dull, vexatious litigant from Baltimore to fuck me while she screams transphobic slurs. I want Donald Trump to tell me he will make America great again as he pounds my ass, as he pays a Mexican trans sex worker to pound my ass, all the while averring that he is the best fucking, and I've got advice from some of the, some of the top fuckers out there, and let me tell you, this is going to be one hell of a fuck. I want Hillary Clinton to fuck me in the ass and tell me why three strikes and mandatory minimum sentences were needed. I want David Cameron to fuck my ass like a dead pig's head and say he cares. I want Governor Pat McCrory, Jesus Christ, who remembers? I want Governor Pat McCrory to fuck me in a bathroom he tells me I have no right to be in. I want to be fucked by an orc chick. I want to be fucked over the event horizon of a black hole. I want to be fucked by myself from the darkest timeline. On all possible evidence, that would be this timeline. I want to be fucked on stage by Diamanda Garlis. I want to be fucked in the alleyway behind the cathedral where we smoked weed for money. I want to be fucked in my flat for money. I want to be fucked in my flat for money by so many people, I wind up evicted I want you to fuck the baby I can't have into me, then fuck me so hard you abort it. I want the trans man I saw try to mansplain alt pride to one of its organizers to fuck me. I want the handsy cis gay man who threw a drink over me on the terrace of Manchester G.A.Y. to fuck me. I want the four skinheads who groped my tits in the woods that day to fuck me. I want everyone who's given me a bad review to fuck me. I want you to understand there is going to be a point during all this when my survival instinct is going to take over, a point where I am going to start screaming and pleading and demanding that you stop, a point when I will try and fight back and I want you to promise me you will ignore that, ignore that and plow on, despite what I might say to make you stop, in spite of my increasingly feeble attempts to fight you off, I do not want you to stop even after I slip into learned helplessness and simply let it happen. I want you to keep going and going and going until I am a fucked apart dead thing, and then I want you to grind my corpse to powder. I want the life fucked out of me. I want you all to fuck me. And that's grief. <laughs> Holy crap, that was rad. That was amazing. Your Trump impression is spot on. And I'm so, uh, that was so good. That was you. so Blah, awesome. I loved it. And you're such a great reader. You're so much you're so energetic and perfect. It's just like, yes, I love that. Peace. Why would you take that off the internet for sale? That was great. There's there's like a twist later in the book. Um with one of the, basically the the plot of the book centers on 
a character getting into a relationship with someone who starts out as a white supremacist. And I later decided that I hadn't done enough in the book in order to... um, I I didn't have any faith that that character could change after a while. So I... um, I I took it off because I I couldn't believe in the 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 third act uh, turn basically I, I I didn't think I'd done enough to uh, to make that character convincing so that prologue um, is awesome and you should read it as a poem anywhere all the time it's like <laughs> like I I don't even care what what it's connected to fiction wise or whatever that's such a great piece on its own. <laughs> kudos yeah it definitely grabs the reader's attention and so that's Mm -hmm. yes i I did just realize it was to a certain extent saying fuck very loudly but um no it's great we don't mutiny radio you can say fuck all the time it's it's fine no it's great we're definitely we're pro fuck swear over here that's for sure uh and that's i mean it was just because it seems Anybody can connect to it as feeling like uh, like not being accepted, and it's like fuck you. This is me. This is anyway. It was really, it was really great. I really enjoyed it. Um, John, do you have more stuff now? Of course, I have more stuff. Here's a new piece called "A Fart at the Opera." <laughs> The genetic lottery conjugates fusillades of corn muffins at the parabola in the kitchen sink, the cisgender drill bit allopathic in all the right ways, waiting in sunk cost fallacy. Socrates would have been proud its Dior evening gown pregnant with apostrophes. Some say the Lincoln-Douglas debates are apocryphal, but press board continues to outperform the bond market, and heirloom tomatoes are two seventy-nine dollars a pound at Boney's. Be that as it may, the presidential press conference jogged chili cheese fries while world leaders erased. Swing voters ignited in a maelstrom of hailstones, largest parade ever in a Ziploc bag, Betamax, laser dicks, the Newton, all more user-friendly than the battleship Yamato's 18-inch guns. The Brooks Range skips rope, slamming the basketball against the backboard in a pickup game with the Mekong Delta. Never say hit me when playing poker with Mr. Rogers, let alone when a caterpillar burrows into the subconscious with a backhoe. Repeating buzzwords doesn't make you a thinker. And uh, here's another one called Abscissa. Meat too orders a Reuben sandwich, the abscissa roiling with past participles and transmission fluid. Turbulence leaves no lean-to shelter, nor do prescription bottles convey. Exposed during the winter months, my blue-haired dachshund. What is the fluorescent light bulbs? Lamp sockets do not fit. 
Jedi Master, where is Chicago-style pizza, New York, Detroit, tables underneath the linden tree, autobahns, bonds, James Bonds, doctor, no shirt, no shoes, no service, a proctologist with a platinum finger, bicycles in the salad dressing room, and the chinos too tight in the waist, so much, meanwhile, error 404, stack overflow, cantar sets, and infinite loops, the mathematician wants to sing in a jazz band of brothers, keeper of the royal seal team, six of nine lives of the four fathers daylight savings time is of the essence gasoline for those who don't speak French fries or coleslaw. Okay, next. <laughs> Bicycles and salad dressing. Yes, bicycles and salad dressing. I agree. That was a great line. Is that, are we frozen? What happened? No, I'm still here. Oh, we're still we're here. Okay. I don't know. I was like dead I air. <laughs> no, no. You know, they, they listen, dead air. I mean, I can read something else, but I think Beth is looking like she wants to read something. She's picked up her netting needles and everything. And so, you know, that just means, that just means poetry or, uh, you know, the detective novel or something. I'm not sure, but. I do it slams to relieve the tension. Ah. What's the last thing you need? About... What's the last thing you knit? You knit uh, sweaters, scarves, hats? What, what's, what's I, knit your... all so I've, I knit all sorts of things. I'm knitting a big... Uh, oh, wow! Cable, wow, cable that's pattern. cool. Like little snakes. Damn. Love these colors. Look how nice they are. Ah. Sweaters are just holes sewn together. Um. So what have I... in? The... Made all sorts of things in the last year. I made a massive blanket for a mutual friend of AJ's and I, um, uh, which which was rather large. And the response, you know, I I I showed them the progress one night, and and the the response came, "Are you knitting me a fucking room?" Because <laughs> <laughs> it was it was like, wow, it just. It kind of it is was big enough, like single bed size. It was big when it was finished, and it, Andy a hat for shits and giggles, really, just because I fancied it. I've made um, I crocheted a hundred and about hundred and fifty hearts in the spring, <clears throat> um, all together. <laughs> by the time I'd finished, um, what else have I done in between? I remember. I have got a poem about knitting, though. <laughs> right on. Well, it's one of those weird things, isn't it? Um, this is beautifully titled by Catherine, um, Mother of Pearl. And through the front door, Round the back, through the window, off jumps Jack. That's all there is. Jack and his girl Pearl. Two steps that make everything I knit. Your eyes are wide, you hear the click, the sometimes speed, the soft that falls from the slip between yarn and needle. Maybe nobody taught you creating is okay. 
that the seemingly idle play of mind and hand that sits in the evening making one thing from another is a thin place sort of its own sit by me follow my hands now all i'm doing now took practice the love took time to come see in over slip off the rest is just variations of that repetition failure Come how I sue, repeating and turning until the stitches regulate my heart and I nestle in the yarn before you do. Needles that move while I can't, following the lines and through the front door, around the back, through the window, off jumps Jack. Repeat and repeat until I have pressed my love into every stitch, until my hands have given their all and I lean down, roll up the remains and post out my gift to you. You look on. Eyes follow as I finish and turn. I wish I could, is. I wish I could do all of that right now. I wish I could jump to the good part. You want a genie to grant the skill and not the hours spent drudging and unpicking and unpicking and unpicking. <laughs> what you see now is the product of what you didn't. If you don't knit the wrong way, you'll never get the power of the right stitch in the right place, the right way round, the day the count is right the first time. The skill that finally moves into place and know that even still, the next one will be better. I'm not doing this to make you feel less. There's no inadequacy in your soul, but don't make out that you could never do it if what you mean is you're not willing to try. And make things to make me feel better and hold back the tide of my fears to fool my brain into calming to make my life less alarming the world softer you warmer good at knitting is following instructions when all else fails that i know i can do through the front door round the back through the window jumps jack I can relate to that and making, making things. I, I, I bake, I little... bake cookies. That's my thing. Yeah, I do, that, my daughter bakes actually, but oh. knitting is a, is a thing that kind of came back to me. Like when we were, my family were homeless for a while. Oh, so wow. Something I could do my hands and we were in a, in a hostel, we were hostel homeless. So we lived all of us in one room essentially. For a while I needed something that I could sit in low light and do in the evening when my daughter was in bed because she was very very young at the time um and I was stressed as all get out obviously really um and um, I needed something to do with my hands but what I wrote when I started knitting again was also what I started writing when I started writing again as well uh, on a completely non sequitur tip, since you're from England and I'm obsessed, do you watch the Great British Baking Show? Because I'm obsessed with it, yes. and I don't know if people yes. in England are, are obsessed with it too, or if it's just me. Yeah, pe pe people are, but I, I, I'm, I'm not. I don't like competitive television generally. I think uh. it's divisive. Yeah, you and know, I, you know, really the great, the greatest. Uh, um, uh, cooking show in the world is Good Eats. As oh, as I'm I concerned. don't. I love Alton Brown. 
love yeah. around so much. It's like I don't, I, I, I don't have a. Oh, I don't know. I've got really mixed feelings about it. I think, I think if that if that's your jam, that's great. But I think it's, and it's, I just, I just don't like that. It's not my that sort of thing's my, not really my kind of telly gotcha I, I, I love i'm i'm seriously obsessed it comes out every week and i i get i get home and i'm just like oh, i get another and, and then i get really inspired it was like caramel week and i made all these caramels but i made them with weed because i want to be i want to be the first american on the great british baking show and i put weed in everything and they'd be like oh <laughs> paul and prue would be freaking out i'm like ah you can't even taste it no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put weed, but I do want to be the first American on the Great British Baking Show. But I don't think they'd ever let an American in. They'd be like, uh, uh-uh. uh. Is there some American TV show that British people really love, and you know that that we kind of ignore that, that they all, you know, they're all watching Law and Order SVU or something weird like that. You know, that's like, uh huh. They're watching Supernatural or something strange in the UK, and it was like, what? Everybody's watching, watching Supernatural everywhere, aren't they? Seems, certainly yeah, seems I guess that's probably there. true. I don't know yeah. what that is. I don't know. What do you reckon, AJ? I don't know. I mean, I... Um, I'm not a massive telly watcher, this, so... Yeah. This is the thing, like, trying to think whether there's anything um, sort of... Baywatch, massive... I don't know. I mean, just sort of... <laughs> Baywatch was was. Oh yeah, yeah, no, that year. was. Yeah. I think, I think it's really hard to get a picture of that now because it's not like, it's not like when we were growing up, is it? Where there yeah. were like three, yeah. three or yeah. four, or five channels maybe, yeah, and so it's, all... it's so diverse now, and I think that's the same kind of everywhere. Yeah, I think. I suppose you know, okay, like, we have great performances and masterpiece theater on our PBS station, and it's all British and it's all high culture yeah. and stuff like that. I'm just wondering if you know. I, mean, I think it's the thing is, it's I like there was stuff that I really liked. Yeah. Like, but it might not be what everybody really likes. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think there yeah. was stuff that yeah. that I was not obsessed with because I don't I don't really do that for TV stuff. But I don't usually. Like, I actually don't watch a lot of TV, but I. Just, I love that show because I love baking. I love baking so much, and I then, just then you're gonna then you're gonna love something like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I like baking. So I competitive knitting. Would you be into it? Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there is extreme ironing. Have you seen that? Extreme ironing. It's a terrifying idea. Extreme ironing. I there was there is a show Joe Lysett fronts it now called the the Great British Sewing Bee and the very first series of that I did watch and the first series was actually pretty decent and I watched part of the second series and it lost its it lost its allure for me. They, they kind of they the kind of pump of... up the fake con- conflict where people are doing each other's stitches and stuff. Mm. It's not so much that as they they could have they could have used it for a better. I mean, I've I've grown up watching my mum sew like other people, kind of breathe. I mm. know, I know. So I make I sew as well and make make things, but um, and I've learnt it kind of by osmosis. I think the best thing that came out, I think it was the first series, not the first, second was a uh, Chanello Ballet, who's a she dress makes by eye, and it just made my chin hit the floor. 
Oh, wow. Beautifully fitted. But when she had to use a pattern for the technical challenge, just she found it really, she found it really difficult. Um, I don't use recipes. Watching her work just with fabric, no pattern, was <laughs> makes your head explode in the most beautiful way i think i think competitive knitting would be <laughs> i think it would actually be really boring maybe the, the, knitting, the knitting that people have been doing in california um they've been doing these like installations they'll knit around a tree or they'll knit around a parking oh, yarn meter bombing. yeah and i'm like yeah what but uh, hey, you know, I'm not going to yuck your yarn. Yeah, yarn, yarn. The word you're looking for is is yarn bombing, and there is a lot of it about. Um, nice. There's yarn actually, um, so there's a post box down near the river, <laughs> um, on the corner of. Oh, I can't remember what it is. On the corner of La Lane, down in the town, and somebody yarn bombs that on a regular basis. Makes like a cap. It's a it's a it's a red it's a round red you know cylindrical red letterbox. Somebody yeah. knits like a hat for it with something nice. on it. And actually, nice. the um, they have had some really cool ones. Ones with like flowers. Um, there's a actually a really beautiful one for Remembrance Day. Um, the other week, last week, uh, somebody had done a really amazing, uh, technically amazing job on that. It just seems um, kind of there's I mean... a few. It's art, but isn't yarn expensive? It kind of seems like a waste. I mean, but uh, yeah, I mean, if you take, I mean, if you take care of it, they they'll be back next year. Do you know what I mean? Though they are a bit seasonal. Nice. It's a, it's a it's a it's a really strange thing. But like, no, somebody like saves it, it and they don't throw it away. I mean, it's I know, low key love it though because it's yeah. so bananas. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I think it's cool. I think it's cool too. I love the idea. Actually, I, I think love it's really I love that people are just knit. I'm just gonna knit a big sock and put it on a tree. Yeah, but okay, I so, so they don't knit it in place. They don't. They don't. They don't like. Go no, no, no. It, they, go they knit it and then they come along and, and do. Oh, okay, all right. But um, but I also love that. I love the technical. Like this, this thing is like the is like a head, was like a head of a soldier, and it had and it had it was all in khaki, and it had uh, poppies and things on it, and it had. So the technical aspect of that just makes my brain fall out. I do not know so how I'm, to I'm, do I'm that. I'm getting some ide- ideas here now. You could have like <laughs> knitting taggers, you know. <laughs> People could like knit gang signs and oh stuff like God. that, you know, and the, yeah. the cops could be have the anti knitting squad to arrest them and things like that. That would be kind of cool. In a dystopian, in a dystopian futurescape, I think that would be a fun, like, plot side. There are people, so there are people running out with like massive strings of narrow knitting and a glue gun on the side of a building. <laughs> That's right, you know. That, that's right, you know. And, and if, the side if, of the bank. If, if the yarn bomb shows up, you have like you know, uh, you know, two, two days to remove the renew, remove the stitches, or else it you know it belongs to the gang or something. I just, I much, I much prefer where that's making Crips territory, things... you know. I much prefer making things that people can either have to to wear or to. Like I quite like tactile things. Absolutely, and then you have a little. I mean, and I how like, much time I, I goes like, into it? It's I, amazing. It's, a it's little special. token of my of my, you know, from me that I will quite 
But I did. I made a whole load of hearts. Your whole skyscraper is covered in a sweater. I mean, my God. I don't even want to think about that. I just that make. Oh, I think, I think tiny, tiny. This. You should make tiny little. Um, if your daughter has Barbie dolls, you should make tiny little scarves for dolls. Cause you can make the. You can do <laughs> tiny, tiny knitting. There are literally people who knit on like cocktail sticks. Oh like, my God, that's tiny amazing. Size. And I that that just it hurts my eyes just thinking about it. But there is also um, and because th this is I saw this a couple of years ago and it blew my mind. There is a woman in Scotland who knitted a fence. What? Oh wow! And it sounds absolutely batshit. It's so beautiful. I'm gonna see if I can just find it. I love so that. So she, she's she um she used a traditional uh. Hopefully so she, she used ran a, 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 a farm. She, I mean, how much? How could you get that much wool? She must have had a sheep farm. No, she didn't. <laughs> she didn't. She knit it from fishing. Oh, fishing line. Fishing okay. line. If All you right. if you Google knitted fence in Scotland, she knitted it on adapted broom handles, and it is and it, she used a traditional. Uh, net stitch for fishing nets. Oh, here's the pictures. Look at that. Oh, it wow. is so beautiful. Woman knits lace fans yeah. for her garden with giant needles. Yeah. Amazing. Well, come on, man. Well, and I just, I, it, it's so, like, I don't even want to think about how much it would hurt to knit that. Because you, you have to, and I have seen people knit on massive needles where they're, they're like, they are like broom handles, adaptive broom handles, and they are, the, the, the ends of the needles, the, the stubs on the end of the needles are literally on the floor, and you have to sit in a chair. Oh, here's a picture of her, it looks like she's holding oars. Or that yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, look at that, that's incredible. But it's, that this. is, a, apparently it was like a, 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 a um, traditional stitch from, I think it might be Shetland or somewhere. Oh, yeah. Rad. But it's been like how, you know, I'm glad we did this. It was just the four of us, but this was perfect. And uh, yeah. and I want to thank you all for keeping the poetry alive. And it was really fun reading today. And I enjoyed everybody's work so much. And nice. keep knitting. And uh, we'll, <laughs> I'm going to go bake some cookies. And uh, we'll be back. I don't. I, mm -hmm. Did they say we're going to be doing it every two weeks still, or we were trying? There was a side thing. We'll figure it out. But two weeks from now, we should. Uh, we'll all be back. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll write what something new. What does that I make? Is that the second of December already? Isn't that amazing? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, it'll oh. be December. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's actually, quite, actually, quite terrifying, frankly. Speaking wow. up on twenty twenty two. First of December. Wow! Get, get yeah, the advent next calendars. week is Thanksgiving. I'm doing a big Thanksgiving. <laughs> I was going to say we're going to be we're going to be in Advent by then. Break um, out the Christmas music! Woo! I Go better I better Jesus. look up I better look up those shepherds that I wrote. Yeah, I, that was about knitting as well. <laughs> I love Christmas because there's cookies and I get to bake bread. I'm gonna go. I get to eat Hanukkah's coming. I'm gonna make a ton of challah bread. Challah! It's Ooh, gonna yeah. be. Yeah, oh, I haven't made challah for years. Yeah, I can't eat it anymore. It's really it's great because it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a brioche <laughs> it's without so dairy. It's so lush. <laughs> uh, but nice. all right, thank you guys so much.
and I'll see you all soon. Thanks, Pam. Have a beautiful day. Thanks, Pam. Thanks, AJ. We did it, friends. We did it. MutinyRadio.fm and .sf. Um, let me put on something else for y'all. Oh, guy. Hey, we're sold out tonight at Asiento. Sold out. Yeah. Fucking rad. Radio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things. Let's watch I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. We're hosts of me <laughs> you with Michael Spiegelman. Follow us on podcast by with our acronym L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. We watch a full-length movie on YouTube with you, and you listen to the podcast and yeah. watch the movie at the same right. time. Yeah. L-W-A-F-L-M-O-I-T. L-W-A-F-L-M-O-I-T. That's every Sunday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, or if you're Carl, 5%. Right. I'm so lazy. Three hours later, I finally get to the show, 5 p.m. Let's hear the theme song. Oh. Let's watch full-length movies. Let's do a full-minute promo. Oh, never mind. See you next are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutinyradio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Hey, Mutineers, Stolowitz here. Have you ever listened to Labor and Love on Saturday mornings, 10 to noon, with Bill Morgan? It's a really excellent show, one of my favorites here at the station. And it's all about service. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but we got to serve somebody. And Bill understands the virtue of service as the heart and soul of the labor movement better than a lot of people I know. And it's one of the reasons I love to listen to him. He breaks down socialism, democracy, protest history, workers' news, and the power of unions. Along with that, he serves up an excellent mix of jazz, Latin, gospel, hip-hop, and traditional folk ballads. Great stuff. Check it out. Labor and Love is every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Serve somebody. Since 1971, the San Francisco Tenants Union has been fighting for the rights of tenants and for the preservation of affordable housing in San Francisco. Starting from the struggle for rent control in the 1970s, the Tenants Union has been the city's leading advocate for tenants. The Tenants Union is supported by membership and counseling donations, and this enables advocacy to be uncompromising and not influenced by pressures from government or other funders. It is a 501c4 since it campaigns for political candidates, so generally donations are not tax deductible, although large donations may qualify. Please visit 
wftu.org for more information. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Black, black, plastic. Mutiny Radio. .fm. Saturday. Noon to two. Every Saturday. All music. All night. ACLU of California reminds us that we have the right to speak out. Both the California Constitution and the First Amendment to the United States Constitution protect our rights to free expression. There are many questions we face when we decide to organize and speak out. Do we need a permit? Are there limitations? Or when or when can we not demonstrate? What about civil disobedience? For all of this information, please check out ACLUNC.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Alex! Can you tell me what food relieves insomnia, anxiety, stress, chronic brain, depression, nausea, and can induce euphoria and stimulate appetite? I'm going to guess waffles. <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> Actually, Alex, the food I'm talking about are cannabis-based medicinal extracts. Cannabis-based medicinal extracts? That sounds like you're smoking drugs, Ed. No, baby. There are smokeless, safe, and less expensive alternatives. To smoke it. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby! Good! Because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again! And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4AltaCalifornia.com. That's 4AltaCalifornia.com for a non-addictive, pharmaceutical, free alternative to smoking medical marijuana. Check them out today at number 4AltaCalifornia.com. Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be... Like in front of an audience? Like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> San Francisco Mutiny Radio San Francisco Mutiny Radio 
listen to live streaming radio or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. MutinyRadio.fm. Why not make a donation? MutinyRadio.fm. Streaming live to the station. MutinyRadio.fm. District of the Mission. MutinyRadio.fm. MutinyRadio.fm. My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders, look good on camera, end all hunger, crime, abuse, war, Disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. who have an insatiable appetite for all things in life, who scream at nothing and everything at the same time, who dance till sunup, who cause the sun to set again with irreverent bow, who rival the moon with gravitational force, who leave rooms feeling empty and earthquake struck, who don't give a fuck, who make, who do, who dream out loud and laugh like maniacs, who draw shock and awe on faces graced with watching, who create from the soul of an orgasm, who swagger even alone in the shower, who fight with passion, and love with passion and our passion who catapult over cliffs in the name of revolution who would rather die than fall in line to conform who constantly challenge the norm who greet each and every day as if just born i say to you i know your greatness the way a suicide jumper knows weightless just before the impact and in fact i know it best when i say to you i love you
Black Classic.
sight under the bed. Doreen knocked on the green door with the gold knob. Scuffling, and a man's laugh, cut short, sounded from inside. Then a tall boy in shirt sleeves and a blonde crew cut inched the door open and peered out. Baby, he roared. Doreen disappeared in his arms. I thought it must be the person Lenny knew. I stood quietly in the doorway in my black sheath and my black stole with the fringe, yellower than ever, but expecting less. I am an observer, I told myself, as I watched Doreen being handed into the room by the blonde boy to another man who was also tall but dark with slightly longer hair. This man was wearing an immaculate white suit, a pale blue shirt, and a yellow satin tie with a bright stick pin. I couldn't take my eyes off that stick pin. A great white light seemed to shoot out of it, illuminating the room. Then the light withdrew into itself, leaving a dewdrop on the field of gold. I put one foot in front of the other. That's a diamond. A great white light seemed to shoot out of it, illuminating the room. Then the light withdrew into itself, leaving a dewdrop on the field of on the field of gold. I put one foot in front of the other. That's a diamond.
wind that had been hiding itself struck me full in the mouth and raked the hair back horizontal on my head. I was descending, but the white sun rose no higher. It hung over the suspended waves of the hills, an insentient pivot without which the world would not exist. sun rose no higher. It hung over the suspended waves of the hills, an insentient pivot without which the world would not exist. A small answering flew toward it, toward it. I felt my lungs inflate with the inrush of scenery, air, mountains, trees, people. I thought this is what it is to be happy. I plummeted down past the zigzaggers, the students, the experts, through year after year of doubleness and smiles and compromise into my own past. People and trees receded on either hand like the dark sides of a tunnel as I hurtled on to the still, bright point at the end of it, the pebble at the bottom of the well, the white, sweet baby cradled in its mother's belly. My teeth crunched a gravelly mouthful. Ice water. You don't own me. I'm not just one of your many toys. You don't own me. Change me. 